Okay, first uh, first issue is the uh, somewhat surprising box office uh, uh, occurrence of this weekend. Uh, number surprise number one is Super Eight having exceeded Phil Contrino's uh, thirty one million dollar projection, <laughs> as well as well, I think Paramount uh, said thirty. I know I know that they were trying to play it safe. Naturally, they all do that, you know, low ball. But you are not trying to play it safe. You're trying to, you know. Just be as accurate as you can, and usually, usually are pretty accurate. So, how do you explain your thirty-one versus the thirty-eight? What do you think happened? Uh, the Thursday experiment absolutely worked. Putting it out early got the word out, and and people are just responding to it. Um, you know, we were You can never really judge how people are going to respond to a movie until it opens. And you know, once we saw the Friday number, we knew okay, this is you know this is going to be a, a bigger weekend than we expected. Um, so yeah, it, 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 it hit, which is very reassuring because it's not a, you know, it's far from a typical summer blockbuster. But you, but yeah, you told sure. me on Friday morning that you were still see- foreseeing 31, no? Yeah. I mean, at the, at the time, yeah, we, we still said, so because I mean, we, you know, Thursday happened? number, go ahead. What specifically kicked in? What do you think uh, occurred, uh, under, uh, with what demo, what, what do you think happened exactly? Uh, you know, I think males, 1834. You know, it hit really well there. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the number from Paramount. um, Hold on one second here. Um, Am I correct about that? That they were forecasting thirty. I think I read that in a couple of places. Yeah, that was that was what Paramount was coming out with. Yeah. um, So, let me see where is it? I have it here. Yeah, I mean, it was fifty-six percent male and um, seventy-one percent of the audience was over twenty-five. So it hit. You know, it hit exactly what it wanted to hit, which mm-hmm. is, you know, people who are young enough or old enough, sorry, to remember going to see E.T., you know, in Close Encounters of the Third yeah. Time in theaters and wanted that mm. kind of nostalgia kick, um, which yeah. we're seeing a lot now. We're seeing movies that are aimed at, you know, adult audiences hitting more because they're the ones who have disposable income. You have to look at it in terms of, you know, the the economy's even worse for teenagers now. Their, their unemployment rates are pretty shitty for them. So, yeah. Um, 
that's you're gonna see a lot more of this you know that's what happened with last oscar season with like true grit black swan mm. fighter everything like that you saw all these adults skewing movies mm -hmm. um really overperform you know and that's that's yeah. a trend that's i'm gonna yeah. link well, this to something do, uh, sasha and and uh philly do you recall was it last oscar or the oscar was before they had a big john hughes tribute uh, in the middle of the Oscar mm -hmm. show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Judd Nelson came stumbling yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was just thinking, they're giving a lot of time to this. And I could feel all the emotion coming from the crowds and everything. And I think that basically what we, we are seeing here is a kind of a nostalgia thing for the, for the 80s, for the people who are J.J. Abrams' age, maybe a little younger, maybe a little older, but people who are, you know, fairly um, like teens, late teens, mid-teens in the, in the 80s. And uh, they're of, uh, as, uh, as Phil said, they have a little more money to spend on these kind of things. And this is kind of a big, uh, big number for them. What do you think about that theory? It makes 100% sense. I mean, Sasha, I don't know what your take on it is, but I agree. Um, well, I, I was just going to say that my daughter and I went and saw it, and my nephew, who's uh, really cute, funny, kind of, but very much into gaming and, you know, really too cool for school. Uh huh. Uh, I was sitting with him today at the family reunion, and he was like, yeah, we saw Super 8 last night. How'd you like it? I really liked it. You know, but, of course, he's too young to remember Super 8 cameras. So he was going to see it on the hype, you know, on the excitement of this is, you know, what is this movie, you know, about? What, you know, why is everybody talking about it? So to a degree, their marketing did work in that way, you know. And I know everybody was sort of surprised, and they didn't think it would because a lot of the early younger film bloggers were giving it kind of a thumbs down or a mild take on it, but I don't think that word ever got out, you know. Well, um, you, uh, you, aren't you giving too much credit to Devin Faraci? <laughs> it's not just Devin, though, right? I mean, it's, it's, it was other reactions. I, I, my take was that the Internet's reaction to it was not over the top. It wasn't like um, Inception or... No, it wasn't. You're right. It, but it, but no one was really slamming it except for Devin and two or three others, right? Mm, I, I didn't really read everybody's, but what I did didn't get was breathless raving. I got it was okay. It was pretty. Even yeah. Katie yeah. Rich was like, "Yeah, it's good. You know, don't bag on this movie. It's pretty good. You know, and yeah. Yeah. sort of nice praise." Yeah. But I didn't get, "Wow, this is a great movie from anybody." It's not a great movie, but it's a very nice one. And it's, uh, and it's very satisfying in some ways if, as I've said, forget the monster stuff. It's the monster stuff good. doesn't work at all. Yeah. I didn't think. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. It's fine. But it doesn't, it doesn't match with the rest of the movie. It's like there were two, to me, it felt like there were two directors at work. There was yeah. somebody working on the story with the act, you know, um, Elle Fanning and the boy. All those kids, they were all great, you know. Yeah. Every one of them was great. The stoner guy was hilarious. Loved right. him. <laughs> Um, but the monster stuff, it's like, as it got into that, it kind of bugged me. But it didn't bug my daughter, man. She's 13, and she loved it. She walked out saying, oh, my God, I love that movie. I really want to go see it again. So, Is Emma wow. Eric? Can we hear from Emma I, I would love to have gotten her on the phone, but she had to go to her friends. She did not want to do it. So oh. <laughs> maybe next yeah. time. Well, it's surprising to hear that, though, and it's, it's very reassuring because I think it is a breath of fresh air in terms of what we normally get during the summer. I mean, you know. I wasn't crazy about the ending either and, and all the monster stuff, but at least it wasn't big, loud, and obnoxious. You know, it had some nuance to it, yeah. and I appreciated that, and mm -hmm. I, I went with it. And, you know, we got to accept those kind of things when they come and really 
cherish them because next oh. week we'll have you know Green Lantern and and stuff blowing up again. So. God, that is so <laughs> true. It, it almost seemed like a deliberate attempt to inject some kind of sanity in storytelling again, like um, mm-hmm. the stuff with. I didn't get your take on it, Jeff. As as this is the Dakota Fanning or this is the L Fanning, you know vehicle that's going to make her a huge star and she's I mean she's pretty she's fine she does a really good job but I didn't think that she was anything all that exceptional but what I did one scene uh you know it's surprising that you can feel this emotion and soul coming out of this 13 year old uh to that level yeah it surprises you in the audience and surprises those kids as they're listening and it's all it's it's intended to do that I'm not talking about a a sustained performance that kills on a a which is the scene scene you were talking about because it cut out a little bit which scene did you think she was really good in the opening scene at the train station in Mm. the dark when they're about to shoot their their footage yeah yeah, she's great in that, and she's but she's also great when she has to say, you know, the sad story, when she has yeah. to cry and everything. She really does do a good job right. at keeping it believable and subtle. But what's interesting about that is that her chemistry with that kid, you know, it's just every once in a while you'll see a movie where they get it exactly right, and mm-hmm. you are so compelled to watch the two of them, you know. Emma leaned over to me and said, awkward. <laughs> but she was right. It was awkward because it was real. It felt real. You could feel the heat between them. What, you know. did, you, what, what did you, Emma feel it was awkward again? Say again. Um, when, when she's playing the zombie and she, her face comes in close to him and, yeah, and yeah. pulls uh-huh. back. And then he's just looking at her like the way a boy would, you know, at that age when all of a sudden they notice, oh, my God, it's a girl in front of me. <laughs> You know, and there's also the the moment when he's putting makeup on her face. And yeah, that's, that's a nice gentle scene. Also, you know, it's just that's the kind of stuff. It's funny. It's like it's whenever you're obliged to hit the big heavy stuff that the executives at the studios want because that's what sells or makes you know translates into into a big box office. That's when it goes on autopilot. Yeah, I think Same so. With X Men, you know, uh, the I mean X Men First Class at the end is when it's least effective, that, that mm-hmm. big thing. That was like the least effective. You know, I was saying to Emma, like, well, I don't understand why he just didn't get out before, you know, and she explained it to me, well, he needed the little cubes and this and that, but mm-hmm. oh, I hope I'm not spoiling the movie. <laughs> I guess I just spoiled it. Oops. It doesn't matter. I think we're good at this point, yeah. Okay, all right. <laughs> it's out there. Well, anyway, so I was wondering that it just didn't, I didn't feel any sort of, like, for instance, when she was taken, you know, you'd think that you would have felt more, like, they gave a lot of um, that sort of plot detail in exposition. Like, they said, oh, he doesn't want to kill anybody. He doesn't want to hurt anybody. He's nice, you know. But we don't ever see any proof of that, really, except in the one scene with the boy. But we didn't really, unlike E.T., where the character, where the creature is the heart of the movie and the other characters are supporting, you really feel for E.T., you fall in love with E.T. You know, this monster, you don't. You you never really get to know it. And so it sort of seems like, to me, it would have been a much better movie if they'd never seen the monster, if it had just been this kind of concept. Was it even real or not? They didn't know. It was one year when a supposed monster rocked their town and, you know, and, and just made it a coming of age movie. That would have been much more interesting to me, but definitely that would have been actually pretty yeah. good. I love that. Yeah. Concept yeah. That. And the, but then you feel the pulse of JJ Abrams and you feel the pulse of it has to be an action movie and the big sound mm-hmm. and this and that to, to, you know, satisfy the boys, the young boys who are seeing it, you know, 
Because yep. that would have been a movie that appeals to us, Jeff, but it might not have been a movie that appealed to my 17-year-old nephew. You know, He wants to see the monster. Although he did say that the monster to him was just like the Cloverfield monster, but smaller, is what he said. Uh-huh. So. Yeah, I'm hearing that a lot. That was that was my initial reaction, too. They look oh. almost identical. So. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Some definite backlash about that. Yeah. The, uh, let me just, uh, let me just uh, express my uh, my anger <clears throat> briefly at 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 that idiot Devin Faraci, that coarse idiot. Devin <laughs> of course, <laughs> that's my favorite word. Uh, and I basically uh, here's and I, I got angry at him because he put me down for saying mentioning in a tweet to Russell Crowe that my son had gotten lucky when we were in Positano in Italy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me just explain something to the Cretans out there. That would include Devin Faraci. Getting lucky is like being is not about some coarse reference to scoring or like you know making a touchdown with a girl. Getting lucky is is being sort of kissed by fate, kissed by by God. You know, it's it's like you're 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 sent into this place that you feel like you're floating. You're not, you're almost, you're not really like subject to the laws of oh. gravity anymore. Well, I must have chided you for that too, Jeff. So I apologize. Well, it's, it's not, that's what it is. It's, it's not about, you know, it's not it, the animals, the people that have no couth think, oh, you know, he's just referring to like getting his dick into somebody. That's not what getting lucky is. Getting lucky is about, you know, getting really lucky about having one of those grace moments in life that you're going to remember when you're. 95 years old, you know, well, you'll remember did, uh, these moments. What did, what did Devin say? <laughs> that I was coarse, that I was a jerk, that I was oh. crude, that, you know, you know, he can go fuck himself, you know, Uh-oh. and I hope you keep this in, really, because I think he's one of the stupidest people. I mean, if he, he's coming from a place like that. I, I was just... I never I, saw I, his I, I tweet. I would have physically hit him if I had seen him, you know, because oh. I hate people that are that dismissive without thinking it through, letting the moment kind of, letting the thought, you know, the, the, the idea... Of, of what getting lucky is. Getting lucky is not a, is not a touchdown. Getting lucky is, is 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 a state of grace. Mm. That's a nice way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean, and I know what you mean about that because I've heard you tell that story before. I did chide you about it on on Twitter only because I thought that um, Jet might be embarrassed. But why? I don't know. Is something <laughs> embarrassing about me? Oh, no, yeah. No, no guy's embarrassed about that. Oh, he's <laughs> not. Okay. All right. No, I doubt it. I no, but but Jet. yeah. I've had a chance to meet him once. I don't think he'd be embarrassed. <laughs> hmm. Well, I know that Jeff, you've told me that it was a really, you know, you, you tell that story very fondly um, of your time together there in Italy and, yeah. and of what happened with Jet. I mean, it really was like a coming of age thing for him there. And it's a great story, you know? Well, it's just a, like, a, it's a positive association. I, I, I thought it, you know, particularly since I had to talk him into staying at this youth hostel, which he was appalled at. I said, please, let's, let's do that. Please don't make me stay in, in bunk beds at a youth hostel. And, um, you know, it was just the irony is that it turned out very nicely for him. So. Yeah, it did. It sure did. What did Russell Crowe think? <laughs> Russell Crowe was too caught up in uh, discussion <laughs> about, um, about uh, you know, um, uh, circumcision, which is the thing, uh, the, the, the big Twitter thing of the day, if you recall. No, I, I saw him getting a lot of trouble for something, but I never really... He was talking about Jews and circumcision, and he doesn't believe, apparently, in circumcision. Mm-hmm. And he thought it strange or, or curious that, uh, that, that Jews had that conviction. And that's what it was basically about. Mm. Yeah, I don't believe in it either, but um, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> 
but anyway. Um, but is, do you, can I, uh, I mean, I'm not, um, you know, gay, and I don't know what the deal is. Are there a lot of guys out there who haven't been circumcised? I always thought that was a fairly conventional thing, a normal thing in this culture that for, mm. for men to have been circumcised for the most uh, part. Well, the European men that I've slept with <clears throat> have not been. <laughs> the American uh, men, almost, yes, almost every single one of them have been, you know, all 125 of them now. <laughs> they all they tend to be circumcised here yeah and and i don't think not to totally make this the world's grossest podcast ever but (laughs) (laughs) i don't think that anybody does a poor guy any favors by circumcising them you know it's really to me it's like a kind of a just i'm gonna say this one last thing and then i'll shut up i promise but comparing the two guy thing two men circumcised and uncircumcised the uncircumcised men tend to get a lot more pleasure <laughs> i'm sorry okay all right no more okay let's move on all right <laughs> but just say yeah parents yeah, don't circumcise your freak, sons and i i don't i don't i don't find it uh, from a not from a straight or a gay man's perspective it just i, I think it looks visually creepy <laughs> well it only is that way for a little while <laughs> <laughs> it looks out like every other hard on you've ever seen. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> Sorry, okay. okay. Right. Listen, you ask. If you ask, you uh, know. No, I'll, no, I'll I, I, I'm fine. It's fine. Okay. okay. <laughs> all right, so moving on. So, so we- yeah, the other the other big surprise, and this is a, a tough one, Phil. Now, um, <clears throat> I I saw um, X Men First Class with a uh, not really a press thing as much as a uh, uh, people who had gotten a radio promotion uh, tickets. You know, it was at Century City. Okay. And I could feel that this movie, um, you know, with the exception of the somewhat rote ending, uh, was working very, very well. There wasn't the, um, you know, like someone said about Super 8, you know, there, you, didn't, you don't see a lot of text messaging going on. When people mm. don't do that, that's always an indication. Right. Sure. <laughs> I thought it was a very, uh, uh, very satisfying, if you know anything about the, the uh, X-Men stories. And, and James Rocky had said something like, you know, it's, all, it's only for the choir boys. It's only for people that are the fanboys who really love it. It's not, it doesn't play to general audiences. So, but it's really surprised me that it went mm. down to 53 or is it 55%? One of the yeah, it was 55. Yeah, I, we thought that was going to hold better too. So I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, it's, it's interesting. It's, what's happening there is it's a situation where, you know, fans of the, the property or anybody's familiar with X-Men, they're kind of dipping their toes back in the water to see if it's safe because the last one, um, the last full-on X-Men movie, Last Stand in 2006, I think, the one Brett Ratner did, they kind of left a bad taste in, um, you know, in a lot of people's mouths. And, you know, so that's, that's what's happening here. It's kind of, I think it's going to level off after this weekend. I think in its third weekend and then going forward, you'll see, um, you know, healthier drops as people really kind of go back to it. Um, but it, it's tough in the summer too. I mean, it's it's tough to avoid that fifty five percent drop because every weekend there's literally a, a new you know tentpole that has some huge marketing behind it, and you know next weekend X Men will have to deal with Green Lantern, you know, which is you know they're both gunning for the same audience, so mm. it's hard for a good movie to really you know last in the summer. But um, Green Lantern is is uh, is it not being uh, <clears throat> is, is it is I have detected that the presumption is that it's pretty hackneyed and, and not a very good film no yeah that's what i'm hearing too from a lot of people yeah. you know, been screenings and everything but you know i 
look, I love critics. I love reading critics, but you know, a lot of the movies that open in the summer are critic proof, one hundred percent, and and Green Lantern's one of them. That can come out and get you know a bunch of one star reviews, and and it will make you know only the smallest of dents in its opening weekend. Um, and that's that's what's happened here. And I mean, what we're seeing is pretty good awareness um, for Green Lantern. All the the Facebook stuff is good. The tracking's good. So. Um, all signs are pointing to a, at least a solid opening. Um, okay. After that, it might fall off a cliff. Who knows? But if it really is not a, a good movie, um, which I, I don't think it looks good. I mean, have, have you no. guys been to see it yet? I know they're screening it in LA. LA okay. is the uh, screening that I'm aware uh, of, and okay. I have not gotten myself into it, and I, I'm not even really that sure. I'd much rather see... I've got an <clears throat> invite, actually, to uh, something else that is of greater interest to me, and I think I'm just going to pass on it, because I don't know where... Um, I don't know where you can go with this thing uh, with, you know, I just, I'm so sick, really sick of, of superhero uh, films. I have been for some time, and uh, I just don't think it's interesting when you give them, when you onks them up and, and give them all these, you know, emotional problems like with Spider-Man. I don't think it's interesting when, they've, when they're for, faced uh, or threatened by uh, <clears throat> adversaries with powers that can really threaten their lives and, you know, almost kill them. I just think it's been done so much. I'm, I can't stand it. Really can't. Yeah. This is a summer full of it too. There's four of them. Four oh, big I ones. Oh, I know. You know God, it's, it's so depressing. It's I. I'm, I keep saying. I keep using the phrase superhero fatigue, and I think it's kind of, yeah. you know, hitting a bit. I think that's why X Men was kind of a little bit soft. I think you know, the, the, all the movie they'll suffer because of it because the market is too full of something that's similar. You know, uh-huh. it's, they're stepping yeah. on each other's toes. So. That's right. And they keep saying, you know, just give people what they want, give them what they want. But, you know, at some point, the people that, you know, to me, I think are going to say, you know, why should I go waste my money on something I know exactly what it's going to be, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I I think that's happening now because you see something like Super 8 overperform. Um, you see, Bridesmaids is up to 124 million, basically. Isn't that great? This weekend, yeah. I mean, that is amazing. That's great. Yeah. Of course, the flip side of that is, uh, (laughs) I I I can't go through this podcast without busting Jeff's balls about Hangover because that's up to 430 million worldwide. Jesus. Uh, (laughs) I'm sorry. What is Hangover Hangover Two? Is up to 430 million worldwide. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So I I mean, I was with a crowd in Paris. The whole place was filled to the rafters and you know they, they thought it was uh you know i didn't detect any bad vibes there either so i i understand yeah, yeah. yeah. and the other thing worth bringing up too is um midnight in paris how well this is doing uh, i think it's easily on pace to beat um vicky christina barcelona in terms of you know woody allen's most successful recent movies um this is just playing really well it did a little more than six million this this weekend from hmm. close to a thousand locations, which wow, that is, is awesome. Great. I mean, and I the summer movie season is dominating my life. I have to catch up with it yet, but I mean, <laughs> from what I hear, it's great. So, hmm. um, you know, more power to them. I'm, I'm glad to see that. Anytime well, what it's worth, uh, you know, when you first see a film and you say, "Well, that was pretty good," and I and I felt that way all along. I said, "This is not a, a, a heavy heavy film. It's not what I would call a extremely substantial film, but it's very deft." And and very very nice uh, sort of clean pocket drop uh, you know has a, has a concept has a, a theme that it uh, follows through on you get it and it's very amusing I love the guy who plays Ernest Hemingway I love uh, um, I love all the all the you know um, we didn't get to meet uh, T S Eliot but he's the only you know it's just really a pleasant film <clears throat> but it's funny I, I I just wrote about this I went to see it again because I wanted to see if I was 
being too gentle. Maybe it's kind of, you know, how movies that you like initially in a kind of a light way don't stand up that well. Mm. And I went to see it. It's uh, just kind of curious, you know. And it's the surprise is that it gained. It played wow. better. It's it's very well put together, that film. It's very nicely done. It, it feels a little ramshackle. It's kind of uh, loose-shoed when you first see it. It's not, But it's very very clean and very good writing. And I didn't really appreciate that as much as when I saw it a second time. Um, well, I did only because I'm such a big fan of Woody's. And I've been waiting for so long to, to, for a good movie of his to yeah. come out. And so that's what I love about this. And I hope it gets celebrated. I think right now it's the only strong contender for Best Picture um, of one of the ten that we've seen. You know, it's the only one that I think is going to make it toward the end of the year just because people love it so much and they're, they want to support him when he's, miss, you know, finally made such a good movie. You know, not earth-shattering. Like David Carr tweeted that he thought it was um, overhyped and it didn't live up to the hype. But I think as far as movies go, if you can find something that's that enjoyable, I mean, it's like The Artist. It's the, on the same sort of line as that. It's enjoyable. It's, it's good. It, it, you know, it sets a, a tiny bit of a new standard because it's funny and it's interesting and, um, uh, and it's uplifting. That's, that's finally what it's all about. And I hope this year we see a lot of uplifting movies in the Best Picture race, which I think we're going to as opposed to last year where everything was so depressing and sad, disturbing. So you think that Midnight in Paris, as we speak right now, is the only strong or likely, as we speak, uh, contender for a, a Best Picture nomination then. Yeah, I do. Don't you? I mean, you might be right. I, I don't know. I, I, I would think that on the strength of the first 45 minutes of The Tree of Life, I would think that, was, that should be one of them, but it probably won't be. I understand mm. that. Uh, Too polarizing, I think. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, it's a love it or hate it kind of thing. Wait a minute. Hate it? Who's hating it? I mean, I understand people saying it's a little diffuse and they didn't, uh, they felt that it, you know, there wasn't enough of a narrative thread to sustain it. And that uh, I can see people saying that it's, you know, they just don't have a lot of patience with arty farty films. Mm. Uh, but but hate it? Who hates it? Well, they, they can the, barely. The mainstream public. It, it won't yeah. have the kind of acceptance you would need to, to get in that kind of, you know, the. the the 10 you know uh -huh. best picture things i think it's it's dying a slow death at the box office obviously i mean it's i love the movie i don't want to knock it in any way i mm -hmm. think it's fascinating and i can't wait to watch it again but mm -hmm. it has z almost zero uh mainstream appeal as far as i'm concerned well you know? can you say the thing for about people walking out because it cut out a little bit oh okay yeah i mean i i'm almost tempted to go to you know see it in an actual theater just to see how many people would walk out because i see you know mainstream uh, audiences getting enticed by, you know, the presence of Sean Penn and, and Brad Pitt and then being totally confused and, and bewildered watching this thing, um, which, is, like I said, is not to knock it because it, it is a quality flick, but I can't see it getting a, a Best Picture nomination. No. Uh, look, if Facebook, the, the, the quote-unquote Facebook movie and The Dark Knight were two, <laughs> I mean, yes, they went for Black Swan, but Black Swan actually did have a plot. You know, it, it did have a beginning, a middle, and end, and conflict and a resolution. It had a villain and it had a heroine. Um, and it could be understood by just about anybody. It wasn't totally confusing. Tree of Life is a movie that is o completely open to interpretation. You know, you right. could say you know what it's about, but I think it's going to be about something different for you and for me and for Phil. Uh -huh. You know, and, and I just don't think in that competitive Oscar season that um, Academy voters are going to be that daring, you know. 
um, I find myself frustrated with them again and again. And, and we don't even know at this point if Tree of Life is going to become one of the 10 best pictures of the year. There's still a lot of movies to come out, you know. Oh, no, I don't, I don't know that it has much of a chance. I think there's quite a few that are going to come out that would probably uh, elbow it aside without too much difficulty. I just didn't understand why anybody would hate that film. I just think it's too... Uh, oh, God. Every, how, try everybody. <laughs> I mean, everybody that's not in the tiny little group of people that appreciate those kind of movies. You know, I could take... Gosh, I, I can't even imagine my mother sitting through that movie, for instance. Um, she would be bored... She just would say something like, what is this shit? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't referring to critics hating it necessarily because I think, you know, I'd be very disturbed if I talked to any serious, you know, full-time working critic who hated a Terrence Malick movie. Yeah. Who who came out and said, I hate this because that means they're not willing to be challenged and and it it just would bother me. But Uh mainstream audiences 100% will not go for it. Right. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, can we talk just very briefly about a non-movie subject, which I think is the, the nicest thing I've seen uh, that's happened today? Did you guys see the pictures of Gabrielle Giffords? Yeah. I did on your site, yeah. I saw you posted them, yeah. She posted them on Facebook today. And uh, I don't know, just something about someone who's been through getting shot point blank in the head. She looks really great. It's just a very, very nice photograph to kind of... <gasps> Talk, tell you about resilience and, and mm-hmm. uh, what was that noise, by the way? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask that. You're so funny, Jeff. It was an email going out. Oh, sorry, fine. I'm multitasking. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start over so I can cut that out. Okay, so that's okay. I, what, I don't care. No, you know, I don't like it on there. Um, an email while I'm talking about you. <laughs> right. oh, no, I had to forward something. <laughs> Don't we all multitask while we're podcasting? I know you guys do because I hear you tapping on your computers. I, I like to look look at things and think, think about other things to talk about while we're speaking. I don't think it's any big deal. Okay. You're well, not, you know, you're not paying your your Con Ed bills, or I mean, your uh, your electric bills. <laughs> Con Ed, that's so cute. Really searching. That's and, so you know. New York. I love it. All right. Um, no, Gabrielle Giffords. Yeah, I, I know. My thought was, I saw the headline that said, you know her pictures are up and I was like, Oh God, I don't want to look, I don't want to look. And then I clicked on it and I was like, Oh wow. She looked great. Yeah. You know, she had her hair grown out. Her face looked fine. I mean, what a great end to a horrible story of a madman. You know, he didn't get her. He didn't get her down. You know, it's great. I like that somebody commented on your site, Jeff, about Annette Benning. Um, <laughs> yeah, do you see that? <laughs> that was dead on because she, she does. She looks like Annette Benning with short hair and kids are all right. And I mean, this is obviously going to be a movie at some point. There's, there's probably, no way it well, can't be. Wouldn't you think? I, I would think, you know. Mm. Yeah. It's not um, that profound a theme, but it is a, it is a nice one. And it makes you feel good that, that people can survive the worst things you know it tells us that we're all resilient and that uh, life itself is resilient if we're not you know putting poisons into our system and we're a lot stronger than we think we are and it's just it's, it's a really really nice vibe that just the, the story gives off a nice feeling you know so i know it, it, it is an interesting story i don't know how you tell it without it being a movie of the week though because yeah. you yeah. know but but the guy is such a lunatic and you know um, yeah and whatever happened to him? Is he still awaiting? Uh, well, I don't think that he's going to. No, I know I shouldn't say it. I haven't read about it uh, carefully. My my recollection is that they've decided he's like 
uh, the guy who shot Reagan, he's basically a mental case and mm -hmm. um, probably, you know, a lifetime of, you know, confinement. Um, I don't know what the, I, I, I shouldn't say. I didn't read, mm -hmm. I have not read about it and, and remembered the particulars. Have you guys haven't either? No, no, not really. I haven't been following it that closely. <laughs> I been, unfortunately, I, I just—I can't stand that picture of him. That to me I is know. the creepiest <laughs> picture of a, a murderer I've ever seen. Yeah, bar I mean, none. It, but like it, I said, when I first saw it, I said I haven't seen a photo of, of a guy accused of something horrific since the Charles Manson photo on Life magazine back in '69. Yes, they, yes, with, great with comparison. Photos. Absolutely, yeah, as chilling. Yeah. As oh. chilling as that. You know, um, what it did, that crime, was it really sent me down the rabbit hole. First, I got mad about the crosshairs thing, and but then I realized that that's kind of unfair, I guess. But No, it isn't. That's, well, a, that's a very militant gun culture, and she did use the phrase, uh, let, you know, puts them in the crosshairs. She's used gun analogies a lot. I mean, the idea yeah. is that, you know, real Americans who have their guns and are, uh, you know, uh, believe in the First Amendment and their own uh, and protecting themselves, you know, kind of the pioneer spirit. You know, if you have a gun, you're you're kind of like a person crossing the country in a covered wagon or you're fighting the British or, you know, one of that that idea. That's what she's invoked re repeatedly. So how is she not in some way? Uh, uh, that's what the sheriff of that of Tucson was saying. Yeah. Uh, people are diseased. There's something really wrong with them. that They keep invoking and, and clinging to the idea of guns as a... Uh, as a uh, badge of, of of freedom, it's a it's symbol of of who we are. I mean, it's 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 sickening. Yeah. No, I know. I know. I just I I I think that when stuff like that happens, you're you're you know you really want to put blame somewhere. You really want to try to make sense of this crazy world we live in. But what it did for me was it it really made me uh, rewatch um, Michael Moore's Bowling for Columbine. Uh -huh. which is a movie I really think people should keep watching because it is still relevant. Nothing about that movie is outdated as opposed to, say, his 9-11 movie, which, um, which can, you can, you can kind of see it as outdated because it goes after Bush and, you know, all that stuff is kind of old news now. But Bowling for Columbine is still as, as uh, relevant today as it was the, when he made it. Right. And he really does go through the gun facts. And it, it's astonishing the kind of gun violence we have in this country compared to other countries. It's just something that people really need to look at. Yeah. Um, so yes. anyway. Yeah. You know, speaking of <clears throat> Michael Moore and Bowling for Columbine, can, that, I, can, I, can I link to that by talking about Charlton Heston and the big country. That <laughs> <laughs> plays. That plays. But I just think, I want to point out. I just think it's it's one of the more uh, stunning and beautiful Blu-rays that I have <laughs> all year. Oh yeah. And why is that funny? It's funny that you segued from because I'm thinking of Charlton Heston being being um, chased by Michael Moore down his driveway or no 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 he went in and just kind of is hiding said, in his house you know any need to apologize and he you know he trying to ambush him in his uh, in his study yeah after, you know and uh, after he figured out what was going on then he just left and he's like mr heston mr heston do you have a word to say but i mean that's yeah. that's sort of when he gilds the lily michael right. moore you know he goes over the top in that that part but yeah but it is funny to think of charlton heston that way as that being some a memory of him as an actor, as opposed to, you know, all the wonderful movies that he was in. So anyway, keep going about the blue There were two Charlton Hestons, the one who, uh, uh, up until say the mid sixties when he was a liberal and he became a, a kind of a John Wayne conservative, the older he got, certainly by the late sixties, early seventies. 
And then he became the NRA guy and famous for his statement, you know, my cold, dead mm -hmm. hands. You know? Yeah. Uh, but uh, this is <clears throat> a uh, magnificent uh, uh, because they the, the the money that was spent to uh, to restore this film was considerable, and when they really do spend the money on a film like this, which was shot in uh, Technorama, which is a kind of a fist division process, in which they throw the uh, film through the camera on a sideways mm -hmm. basis, so it allows for bigger frames, and then it's it, it has a compressed image when it prints, and then it anamorphically expands when you project it. And so, you know, it's bigger, bigger film. And the detail is wonderful, and uh, it's just really one of the more... Uh, and it looks like film, too. It doesn't look like it's been DNR'd or, or all sharpened up, you know. Oh, nice. You know? So it's really delightful to watch, and I've been uh, really happy that I finally got it. But it's significant. This is one of the best Blu-rays of the year, and you cannot find it. Um, it has not... doesn't have a publicist, apparently, sending out copies. Hmm. So... Uh, three, at least three of the of the major DVD uh, covering and reviewing sites haven't even reviewed this thing because I guess uh, they haven't gotten their free copies and they can't be bothered to pay the oh. eleven dollars or twelve dollars and order it from. Uh, you have to do it through Walmart, apparently. Oh God, hmm. really? Well, why do they make it so difficult? Jesus, <laughs> can it be some other way? <laughs> Amazon. <laughs> it seems incredible that they wouldn't have a publicist getting in touch with the major sites and sending mm -hmm. them copies. But uh, Glenn Kenny had to do the same thing as I did. I had to actually order it from Walmart. Um, oh, God. Well, I don't want to give any business to Walmart, so I'm not going to be doing that. But I wasn't going to do it either. And I, I thought, I think it's, uh, you know, everybody hates what they, what they are. But I actually <clears throat> went down there, the one on Martin Luther King Boulevard. Oh, God. Southeast of uh, La Brea, just to, to go there to see if I could find a copy, and they don't even have it. They didn't know what I was talking about. Like, <laughs> I would have loved to see that conversation with uh, you in the car. No, I, I, I could tell right away he didn't know what I was. Jeff talking would be about. like, "You've <laughs> never heard of the Blu-ray." <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't get sarcastic or facetious with him. I don't expect that an average person working at Walmart will be totally know about a 1958 Western that William Wyler directed. I don't expect that, and I'm not going to get, you know, sarcastic about it. So oh, good. Okay. It's, under, it's, it's, it's totally okay, you know. <laughs> but you know what they were saying in my, my site, when I wrote, you know, that a lot of older people go to Walmart because it's, you know, they're, they're on their limited fixed incomes, and they go there, you know. You have to kind of uh, just... As awful as that, those stores are, they are ubiquitous in the middle of the country, and it's hard to find them in Los Angeles, New York, but they're definitely out there, and they really are cheap. I'll tell you, I bought a... a uh, oh, by the way, I wanted to announce, I haven't told anybody this, this is a totally secret thing. Even in my, <clears throat> you know, in the column, which I talk about almost everything, I bought a scooter. Oh, wow, did you? <laughs> nice. Yeah, and, and the reason I did this is because I found a guy who's selling them brand new, not Vespas, not the Italian ones, which cost three, $4,000, not the other ones, but I bought a Chinese one. And the Chinese one, this guy swore up and down, um, are, this is only f brand new, I'm talking about brand new, just assembled, five miles on the speedometer, uh, $1,500 plus uh, plates and everything. Mmm, so, wow, God, so that's great. I, I tell you, um, you can fill the thing up for like, Three and a half, four dollars, 
and you can and there's no more gas worries and it's wonderful because you don't have to worry about parking mm. and you can go through traffic and sort of buzz around it's everything is faster everything is cheaper and uh, that's what uh, yeah i was reminded of what a joy uh, scooters are in cities when i rented one when i was in paris in um, late may mm. and uh, it was just so delightful to you know not just get around fast but to see and smell the city as you're buzzing around the streets and it's just the only way to do it so <clears throat> it's a great thing so the, what's the linkage to Walmart the fact is that I had to buy one of those locks those, those U-shaped heavy duty locks and I've seen them for sale at bike shops high end bike shops like uh, Wendy's and Westwood and there's one on Beverly Boulevard <coughs> and uh, <coughs> excuse me um the cost are, is about 15, 20 bucks, maybe 25, depending upon where you buy them. At Walmart, the same lock uh, costs uh, $8. Wow. God, that's amazing. I know, but you know, it's, it's Walmart. So, of course, it's going to be cheaper, but. It's so, everything's so amazingly cheap there. And I, I, I know, it's, it's horrible. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to make that a part of my life, but you got to give them. Uh, you understand it understood why people go there. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Plus, they employ people and everything else. So. Yeah. When I was flat broke, I would go to Walmart just because I had to, you know. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but I, if I don't have to go there, I definitely will never go there. Ruining right. this country, Walmart is. But, um, <clears throat> so. Yeah. Uh, what else do we have to talk about? Well, so, next week, you know, we're going to talk about Green Lantern. What else is going on next week besides the dreaded Green Lantern show? <laughs> Uh, wait, Green Lantern, wait, let me pull up the release calendar. Give me one second. Just can cut this out or whatever, just so I have it in front of me. Yeah, go ahead. Um, there's something else that opens. Um, ah, yes, Mr. Popper's Penguins. Oh, yeah. Jim Carrey, okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so not a uh, not a weekend I'm looking forward to. And then oh, there's also a limited <laughs> release. Uh, no, no, the already why, getting by. You, you hear it's bad, or what do you hear about it? Nothing? Mr. Popper's Penguins? I haven't heard anything, but I mean, look at the trailer. I mean, what, what more do you need to know? Mm. You know, it's it's... It's just low grade, you know. Yeah. Lowest common denominator, you know, gunning for families kind of schlock. You know, I, I can see that a, a mile so, away. So well, what we're saying is that since um, the gay movie that he made that, that they couldn't uh, give away, um, why am I forgetting the title of it? Uh, Love You, Phil Mars. Yeah. yeah. Um, that seems to have been a kind of a turning point. Is, is he cold now? He's not getting the material that the funny scripts are going to the younger comedians. Has he uh, relegated in people's minds as a kind of a '90s comic who's uh, who's you know liked and not you know he's, he'll keep working, but his day has passed. Is, do you think that's, that's what's going on, Jim? Gale? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he's. I think he might have you know two or three more blockbusters in him. Certainly not at the level that he hit, you know, during the nineties, but he's on, he's on the downward side of his career for sure. So it's good that he's doing stuff like I love you, Phil Morris. He should, he should do more of that. You know, he should take the, you know, he, sh- he should even do like showy supporting roles in, in smaller movies or, you know, just take more chances and, and maybe finally, you know, get an Oscar nomination or something because he's not going to be able to, to get the, the um, you know, Hundred million dollar movies anymore? I don't think. Um, I don't. I don't think Mr. Popper's Penguins is going to do even a hundred million. Did you uh, happen to see? Do you remember Liar Liar? Did you guys both see that? Sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. What do you think of that? Did you think it worked? It was funny enough. I mean, it had its moments. If if it was on TV and I was bored, maybe I'd 
watch it for a couple minutes. That's kind of my attitude. I gotta honest. tell you, I, I was um, I was watching it. And I was I was just not enjoying it as much as I thought I was going to. The last one that really worked for me, really worked, was the Farrelly Brothers one where he played the cop. What was that called? Oh, me, myself, and Irene. Yeah. Yeah, that I was yeah. laughing at because of the cruelty he showed towards children. Whenever people are, uh, you know, it's always funny because it's so uh, taboo. But I always laugh at it in a way. And that was actually the last big movie the Fairly Brothers had. They haven't had a, a genuine hit since then. Yeah. And that was ten years ago. Um, they've just had one miss after the other, you know, and including their yeah. Um, what was the last thing they did? Um, Hall Pass. That that struck out. Yeah, bummer about but, that. Yeah. Um. I think the movies that I love of Jim Carrey's really old movies, like Dumb and Dumber and Ace Ventura. I, I mean, he was just was so funny back then. He is so great in Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, from uh, the first Juice Bigelow, there, he, that scene, uh, that I, I mean, uh, there's one thing that I've, every family has heard from every family member at one time or another. Uh, the, the person comes out of the bathroom and says, I wouldn't go in there if I were you. <laughs> Do not go in there. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember him taking that line and making it really funny. And, uh, and I was thinking, this guy is so gifted. Yeah. You know? Oh, there's tons of, yeah. Dumb and Dumber is classic. I don't care what anybody says. I, I love I can, it. That movie makes me laugh anytime. And I think, Sasha, you're, you're on board with Absolutely. that. Absolutely. That is one of, and you yeah. know who's so funny in that is Jeff Daniels. It's like Jim Carrey is really funny, but I swear Jeff Daniels almost steals it from him. Well, he's he's a straight guy, you know, and, and the straight mm. guy always gets the good lines too, you know. Oh so. God, is he? Funny? Or as straight as you can be in in that movie, I guess, you know. But he's definitely more grounded, I guess. Yeah. Jim Carrey's kind of off the wall. You know what? I tried to watch again. I got the Blu-ray of for some reason because I like Jonathan Demme. I went. I got the Blu-ray of Something Wild this week. Mm. You know, yeah. Jeff, a really good Jeff Daniels performance. Right, Melanie Griffith back in the day when she had yeah. a when she had something going on there. Yeah. Um, you know, a really funny, weird, early Jim Carrey performance that most people don't know about is he's in, um, uh, is it, it's a Dirty Harry movie. Um, do you know which one it is, Phil? Uh, the later oh. one, the last one, I think it is. It's <clears throat> Sudden Impact, maybe. Let me look it up really oh, fast. That was in 83. He wouldn't have been around then, was he? No, he, he has a small part. Let me, let me just check. Um, he plays a rock star and he plays it totally straight. Like he's an actual real actor. It's before uh -huh. in living color, before he became a huge Sudden star. Impact was not the last Harry, uh, um, um, dirty Harry film. There was one final one that I believe. Well, I no, I see. I'm not a, uh, the, the Deadpool. That's the one he's De in. Deadpool. Okay. That's the one Jim Carrey's in in 1988. So that's even before, uh, in Living Color, which launched his career. I don't know. Yeah, did you guys watch In Living Color? Either? I used to watch that religiously. Every and my favorite thing was the was the gay book reviewer thing. Yeah, <laughs> it was a great show, and he was great on it. Oh, yeah. it was really... Fire Marshal Bill. That's that was yeah. one he did, right? Right. <laughs> Just so gifted physically, you know, for, for comedy. I mean, that, yeah. one, that one was hilarious. I remember. Oh, that. here's here's what I think may have happened with Jim Carrey. I think that uh, I think it was possibly number twenty three. Uh, the idea started to settle in that he is a genuine eccentric in his real life, and he's oh, got—he's yeah. prone to eccentric uh, beliefs and imaginings. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a—you um, know—he's a real striver and a, and a, a seeker in a, in a spiritual sense. Oh yeah. And, well, no, he's, uh, he's, he sees himself as a spiritual leader. It's like comedians kind of all make that evolution. I don't know why they do, but like Janine Garofalo becomes a political. Uh -huh. um, pundit and um, Al Franken is now a politician 
And, you know, um, Gary Shandling has become very strangely spiritual and he, he sees himself, I don't know how he sees himself, but how he comes off is he can, he will not really talk about comedy so much anymore. He talks about, um, spirituality and, and mysticism and self-help. And I mean, you should hear him talk Gary Shandling. He's a totally different person now. And Jim Carrey, same thing. You get him on Oprah and he's not going to be funny. He's going to start talking about, you know, the eternal light and centering your life and giving to others. It's, it's almost like they, they're, they, they need to be cured of whatever's torturing them. And then they'd use comedy to do that. And then once they get rid of whatever's torturing them to become happier, then they move on to what they consider to be a more enlightened stage. But it's oh. just not, it's not funny anymore. <laughs> so oh, It's a good take. Yeah. I mean, well, all comedic actors have a, you know, a shelf life. They don't, you know, they have like 10 years or, or so where they're, they're white hot and then they start falling off. I mean, it's kind of happening to Will Ferrell, I think, mm. um, you know, where he's, he's not, uh, you know, a, a sure thing that he once was. Um, yeah. You know, I don't think he's the reality he's, of Hollywood. He's not gone into the, the spiritual territory. Has he yet? Um, Will Ferrell, I don't no, think he has. No, but I mean, that, that doesn't just going into spiritualities. Is, that's one way a comedian can, can lose their, you know, box office clout. But it, the other is just the fact that, you know, they've been around so long that people are kind of tired of their stick. Yeah, know? it's true. But, you know, yeah. Jim Carrey, I don't think he, I think he made enough money to where he doesn't ever need to work another day in his life. That's why he's always painting and stuff on Twitter. And he's one of the few people I think that doesn't really need Twitter to keep his career alive. He just does it because he likes it and he's interested in it. Yeah. Um, and he's kind of crazy on Twitter. <laughs> Didn't he buy a, a, a construct a big meditation, uh, dome of some sort in the back of his home he's very very devout as far as like trying yeah. to be clean and and be connected to something other than just the day-to-day -day. he really does right. believe strongly yeah um, he does and apparently i mean according to everything i've ever read about him which isn't a lot but it mostly surrounds his relationships with women is that he's very very depressed a lot like he has well, that goes with comedians everywhere though they're yeah. all they're well all... there are some that that maybe get depressed but i what i gather is that he does suffer occasionally from debilitating depression oh. like really oh, deep dark stuff and that yeah. when he gets like that it's hard for anybody to be around him um but i don't know what do i know that's just what kind of what well, i heard well it's just that i i think that that's it goes along with being a comedian uh um, steve martin is known he is definitely not, uh, he is gloomy Gus and then some. Uh, uh, oh, no own. kidding. Uh, Billy Crystal, I remember coming up to him once at a Sundance thing. And boy, I've never seen a gloomier, sadder fellow, you know. Uh, I, I just uh, looking into his eyes, into his face, I mean, uh, he just struck me as, boy, this guy is, is not what I would call chipper, you know. I just, uh. Uh, and I think they're all like that. The only person I think that uh, probably wasn't uh, susceptible Jerry Lewis, really, you know, pissed off, angry, you know, guy with all kinds of things going on in him. Um, did I ever tell you the, the story about, you know, interviewing him at Sundance uh, in 94 or something like that? Mm -mm, no. Is this King of Comedy era? No, it was when he was in that um, the film that the British guy who wound up directing Town and Country, uh, um, it was um, kind of a broadly slapstick British uh, Jesus Christ, I can't remember the name of it. Um, and I got to know him anyway. He he he, he directed Town and Country, and I kind of liked him. Um, remember my name, or you know my name, or something. But uh, Jerry Lewis was doing interviews, and um, and I mentioned 
the uh, the Nick Tashi's biography of Dean Martin, uh, who was called uh, Dino, Living High and the Dirty Business of Dreams. It's one of the great mm. uh, showbiz biographies. Uh, really gets into the head of Dean Martin and the whole that whole world is really wonderful. Great, great writing, great reading. And he says, you know, he slammed a guy who I, who I, I care for and like. And he's, I could see his, his just come, this dark cloud coming over oh. him. And he says to me, ask me something else. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Before you get pissed, you know, what, 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 how will we describe what we're feeling right now? You know. <laughs> oh, I love Jerry Lewis. Yeah. I love him. I love him I, in King I, of Comedy. King of Comedy, because he's really, that's what... Uh, that's what he's like, right? Huh? Is that what he's really like in King of Comedy? The yeah, way that's he... Sean Levy, who did that book on him, uh, The King of Comedy, uh, said that that's who Jerry Lewis is, that guy in The King of Comedy. Oh, yeah. my God, is he funny in that movie. Yeah. I, you know, he's... Very underrated performance. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Very, very underrated. You know how, how mean he is to Rupert when Rupert comes to his house, you know, with his date. Yeah. <laughs> that's a classic scene. I love his... Uh, <laughs> Is um, the guy that works at his house? That, what's his name? John. He's he's in here. He's touching everything. He's really ruining the place. You know, he, he calls he's him on the golf everything. course. <laughs> They're running all over the house. Yeah. <laughs> <So great>. yeah. <laughs> he's gonna be here for a while. You know, he's or something like that. He said he's staying for dinner. Yeah, yeah. that is well, a great. On uh, Fifth Avenue, coming up to do Jerry, uh, playing a guy named Jerry Langford. Jerry. My daughter, she loves you. Just an autograph, just a yeah. quick autograph. Jerry, please. Is, uh, sorry, I don't do autographs. You should get cancer, I hope. Yeah. Get cancer. <laughs> <laughs> this movie's full of so many great lines. Like uh, when, when Rupert's yeah, arguing true. with Sandra Bernhardt and she's, he says, what about when I gave you my spot? <laughs> you know, we waited all day in the hot sun. I gave you my spot. <laughs> you know. He's yeah. trying to tell her that he did her this great favor by, you know, giving her a spot waiting, waiting to see Jerry as he comes yeah. out. Oh, so brilliant. Right. Doesn't Scorsese regret making that, though, I, I read once, or, or he says he's just not very proud of it, which is kind of unfortunate. Um, he feels I that his own performance is not very good, He didn't, or he doesn't like the film. No, he's saying he, Scorsese, he just, yeah. Yeah, Scorsese regrets. Oh, really? Yeah, I forget Scorsese. where I read that. Oh. Or at least was wasn't happy with it, you know, because I know that you know it wasn't a very commercially successful movie, and um, no, it wasn't. It was uh, like The Big Lebowski. It was, and you know, qu quite a few other movies. It was definitely dissed by the critics when it first came out. People kind of made fun of it. They didn't think that um, uh, Robert De Niro was funny, and to he me, they totally funny, missed though. it. They you missed it. You think he's funny? Well, he's he's funny in a, a kind of creepy black comedy way. He's not funny as in he's a. You know, I think that what people were expecting was that he was going to be funny. Maybe. I don't know. But to me, it's one of the best movies. It is one of my favorite um, Scorsese films, for sure. He was, uh, he's such a complete creep at every step of the way. I mean, the man was, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, you, your blood just curdles every, everything he says in that film. Well, uh, I don't know about that. I mean, to me, his blood doesn't curdle. He's just a really sad and depressing person. You know, both he and Sandra, Bol um, Sandra Bernhardt are, yeah. you know, just sad, desperate. But, but this movie, more than any other, nails that stalker-type person so perfectly, you know. Yeah. Be better yeah. king, king for a day than schmuck for a lifetime. <laughs> it really gets into the feeling of, you know, what, what kind of thing was... Um, you know, behind the Mark David Chapman killing and, you yeah. know, different things where 
these kind of strange people crawl out from under the woodwork and here they are. And, you know, what do they see in celebrities and what do they want and what do they get reflected back at them? And, you know, the movie's full of beautiful fantasy sequences that, you know, he did chop it up a lot. I know there was, there was one scene where you can tell there's a whole character taken out and you can see him in in the background in one of the scenes and he's doing all this stuff. And it makes no sense to the story because he has no part in the, in the thing. But, Uh, uh. Um, hey, by the way, can I ask what people, uh, what you two guys are expecting and what you're sensing about the Tom Hanks film uh, called Larry Crown, which is going to open on July 1st, mm-hmm. uh, July 4th weekend, and the uh, screening that I was, uh, uh, they wrote me about an all-media screening on the 27th, uh, which is only obviously three, three days or whatever uh, before, four days, and I um, asked uh, Universal about whether that's, uh, you know, uh, going to be a screening here around the same time and this well, we're working on it obviously it's going to be same thing do you do, um what, what do you sense from the from the uh trailer and uh, what do you think is going to be is this look like something uh you know possibly really special or what do you think it's going to be from what's your sense of it i'd be surprised it, to me it just seems safe light and breezy and that it'll be mostly agreeable you know that's that's kind of my take but nothing truly earth-shattering or, or compelling or, or Oscar-worthy, anything like that. I mean, I'd like to be surprised, but mm. I, I just don't see it, you know. Is it because uh, Tom Hanks is too um, uh, kind of uh, almost uh, narcotized by being so wealthy and being in, in the realm that he lives in that he's not uh, going to ever deliver something? I mean, you know, at one time he was going to make, uh, I believe I read that he wanted to make um, a American re- remake of Ikiru, the Kurosawa um, mm. about the man dying and gives his time to a school, I think it was, or builds a playground or something. I, I sound like an idiot. I'm supposed to know that film backwards and forwards, and I can't remember what the plot is. It's something selfless that he does about kids and a school. You guys haven't seen it either? Uh, mm. No, no, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel so bad. <laughs> my take on it is I hope it's good because I really want to see Tom Hanks make good movies, be a good director. You know, I know he wants to be, but my take as an audience member was to kind of groan, which is sometimes a good sign. If it's a bad trailer, a lot of times it'll be a good movie. Um, two things happening at once. I'm sick of Julia Roberts. I'm just sick of her. I don't know why. I just am. Maybe after um, Eat, Pray, Love. <laughs> <laughs> and all of her business on Oprah. But the two of them were on Oprah, you know, and it was like they were on Oprah and on Oprah as she was closing out. And it was just, it was bugging me that they were promoting their movie and saying goodbye to her at the same time. Um, all of that aside has nothing to do with the movie. It's just a personal irritant of mine. But um, did you really? it's like, hard for me to I, buy him in the, that role. That's my, my first thought was, it's hard for me to buy him in that role. I could kind of buy her, but he's Tom Hanks, you know? I can't just get rid of all that and imagine him in this in this part. But maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Hmm. Sorry, go ahead. Did you find Eat, Pray, Love uh, abhorrent? You really disliked it a lot? or? No, I didn't dislike it a lot. I just, I was, you know, by the end of it, I was just like, oh, God, go away, lady. Go away. Who cares, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who cares? Nobody cares. I don't know why it is that we don't care about women um, on the same journey, and we do care about men on that journey. I don't understand it. It's sort of the same idea that why are why can no female ever write the great American novel? That's only a thing man can do. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But the bottom line is that it did not make for a very intriguing subject. That movie. 
I, I recall um, feeling um, pleased that I thought that Javier Bardem did a really good, good job as the character in, the, in Act 3, and uh, I liked him a lot, and I was glad yeah. that he was in it. Was and good. I also liked Richard Jenkins in the Indian ashram uh, section. Oh, and I loved the uh, scenes of exquisite Italian dishes in Rome. So that yeah. it, I didn't feel too badly about that film. I, I wasn't, you know, head over heels, but I thought it was pleasant enough. Yeah. I didn't feel too badly about it either, but it does ask us to feel sorry for her um, going through her divorce, which yeah. was like, I'm just not a fulfilled person, so I think I'm going to get divorced, you know. Right. It asks us to feel for that, and it just, you know, you don't. You know, yes, I enjoy going through and eat, her eating all that wonderful food, too, and, and making love with Javier Bardem. What's not to like, you know? Mm -hmm. But um, but it just, when, when, the, when they ask you for the hard-hitting emotional stuff, it, you can't deliver that. You can't give them that because you don't feel it for her. You know, you just don't. Yeah. Bye. Right. Um, Are you there? Hello? I'm here. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. thought you went away. Sorry. <laughs> no. All right. Um, all right. Well, I guess we're going to... Um, <clears throat> The only thing to talk about is um, uh, nothing, I guess. Right? <laughs> um, um, I Phil, I've gotten we've we've covered the, uh, the 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 two big surprises. We've covered the box office. I I, I said my piece about Devin Ferracci. Uh oh. We've gotten. Um, uh, uh, we we know what to expect probably from uh, the, the Green Lantern, but nobody really knows, and we won't know until Monday. Is anybody going to see it on Monday? Phil. No, Not no. Me. I mean, I'll like. It's you don't want to see it. Thing to wait. I, I know. I always see it with an actual audience. You know, I oh. learn more that way. Yeah. Oh. So, I'll see it yeah. Thursday at midnight, probably. Oh, okay. Yeah. I so agree with that, Phil. As I said before, it's so much better. You know, when I saw Super Eight with the audience, they were totally into it, and I know it would have been a different experience if I'd seen it at a screening. I know that the you know the people would have just been sort of like, eh, at the screening because they're not into yeah. it for the same reason that the audiences are, and. You know, filmmakers shouldn't make movies for to appease people in screenings. It should be for audiences, you know. And I just love the end of Super 8 when they show the Super 8 movie because we were getting up to walk out and, and everybody kind of, the audience sort of stirred because they were showing the movie that they made, you know. And I think it really is the best part of that whole film is when they show their movie. <laughs> you know, it's just, and, and to hear the audience laughing at that and clapping and, you know, it does change the way you experience it. Sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It's, you know, you, you just learn about, you know, what hits and what doesn't, you know, it's, yeah. it's an important thing to kind of get out of that, that bubble. You know, I like, I like, you know, I like the perk of being able to go to screenings when I want, but you know, you don't, you just don't learn anything from it. You know? Right. Right. So, cool. All right. So, All right, so let's, uh, well, I'm glad we got back finally after the, uh, the whole European thing, we were finally back on a, on a, on a Sunday track. So that's, that's good. Yeah, it's good to be back. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah. So thanks again for having me, guys. All right. Oh, nice talking to you, Phil, and you too, Jeff. Enjoy the rest uh, of your Can week. we get Emma to come on one of these Sundays just to, to hear Emma's views about everything she's seen recently? I was really looking forward to hearing from I her. I know, me too. I told her. She's funny because, Jeff, she remembers you from France. So every time I bring you up, she says, Jeff, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <And> she laughs. <laughs> She likes you though. She thinks you're a pretty cool dude. She has. She she gets my sense of humor. She gets your sense of humor, and she was giggling. She keeps bringing up how how scared I made you while driving through the hills. <laughs> 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 You'd be like, ah, oh, God, oh no, 
because my driving was so scary in that little car. But you know, she remembers that. But she also that, just liked hanging out. With amazing. Me. I mean, there was there were some of those streets that we went down. They you really couldn't <laughs> call them streets. You could really barely call them sidewalks. It's like really... oh god. Do you remember we were we were on that one hill, and I mean it was really touch and go for a while there because we did not know if we were gonna like bash into this guy's wall or yeah. you know. And yeah, I was no. I had that stick shift and I was putting the car in a you know jamming up the emergency brake and pushing yeah. on the clutch and trying to get up there. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. Fun though. Yeah, I'll try to get her on. I'll try to get her to come and talk. I really wanted her to talk about Super 8 because she loved it so much and to hear yeah. her perspective on it would have been nice, but maybe next time. So uh, if the Emmas of the world really liked it so much, uh, and Phil, do you think that will counterbalance what I read is a B-plus cinema score? Doesn't that usually mean that it's not going to do that tremendously next weekend? No, B-plus isn't a disaster. I mean, that's that's pretty, it's pretty it's good. Okay. It's not yeah. great. Yeah, I mean, you know. It's fine, and and it's I, no. I think it is reassuring that uh, teenagers are are responding to it. Yeah. Emma's thirteen, right? Is that she's just 13? turned thirteen, yeah. But her okay. and her um, cousin, who's seventeen, he liked it also. Yeah. Well, that's good because you know it has that sense of wonder to it, and and yeah. you know it, it lets you use your imagination, and and that's great that the younger generations responding to it. You know? Yeah, I think what they're so. going to get into about it. This is my guess is if is the whole making movies part of it. Because a lot of the kids, they didn't grow up with that, you know, and they're used to just filming something and slapping it up on YouTube, but they don't kind of get this idea that you can put a camera on a tripod and you can have actors and you can do all that stuff as a young person, you know, and I think it's going to make them want to do that and want to get into it, given that we're sort of that kind of culture now, we're sort of this, everybody mm. performs, you know. Right. Yeah. No, it's a good point. Absolutely. Maybe more that than the monster part of it, <clears throat> I'm guessing. Well, uh, this uh, Sasha, you're going to be going to any of the L.A. Film Festival um, screenings, and are you particularly going to make sure that you see Drive? That's the number one I'm going to see is Drive. I can't wait to see it. But, yeah, I'm picking up my credential on Monday. Are you going to pick up yours? Yeah. Yeah, I thought I'd do that. Yeah, yeah drive down to the Marriott. <laughs> now, that's on, uh, on um, East Olympic. I've never been to this. The J.W. Marriott, have you ever been mm -mm. to it? Nope, I have not. So this will be my it's, first time. I presume it's right downtown, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, again, it's it's everything is such a pleasure as far as getting around now. I don't have to ever get caught in traffic. <laughs> That's it's lovely. Great. Well, be careful on that thing. Well, I'll tell you, you can you can see what people are doing more. You're more tuned to it because you're. The whole point is who's going to do something strange. Who's going to like um, you know? <clears throat> so in a way, because you're out there, you're you're less in the bubble that people are in when they're driving around. They're listening to music. They're often uh, listening to their own music. They're talking on the phone. Right, right. <clears throat> you know, you're paying some attention. You're not being derelict, but you're not fully into it when you're in the car. When you're on the, on the scooter or a motorcycle, you're totally, it's like, you know, you're, you're very there in a, in a wow. Zen sense. So you're not, uh, and you're watching for the crazy. Who's the crazy person? Right, right. Driving emotionally and, and you know, you can spot them. Or yeah. distractedly, you know, just not thinking and zooming yeah. through the intersection without paying attention, which I, I keep seeing that happening. Ugh. Yeah. That's, that's the people that are going to, most people are pretty good drivers. I remember thinking in, in Paris when I was driving through, <clears throat> when you think about going out into a busy, bustling European city, you think there must be a thousand different ways I could get hit or dented or knocked over. And it just never happens. People mm. drive 
amazingly with such consideration nobody seems crazy there i mean it's they're, they're they they break the laws they ignore the lanes but everything's okay you know and it's uh, one of the more peaceful things i, I did over there hmm. so nice I'm, that's what i'm going to be doing for the rest of my life driving on scooters <laughs> in rome and paris <laughs> uh, that's lovely Not a bad, not a bad and I'm never ever ever going to go to bang to bangkok why not because of the hangover part two. Oh, right, right. Well, you know... Um, Find the city in any way, anything other than repulsive, just to look at it. I mean, it was all gray, and it was like all those... I hate those super well, you know, uh, skyscrapers. Phil, and, you know. Phil and I never got to talk about it because we haven't talked since Hangover 2 came out. So what did you think of it, Phil, just really quickly? Um, you know, I saw it with a packed house, and the, you got the, I got the energy from it, and I went with it. Mm. Um, I was a, a a couple shots deep, um, so that you know that that made it fun. <laughs> I made sure I did that, but it, would it hold up? No, I don't. I don't think I ever want to watch it again. The more yeah. I think about it, the more I was kind of disgusted by it, and and just I, you know I didn't like that. It, you know, it, it's an old complaint by at this point, but it was you know just beat for beat the same movie. So right, right. The, I hope that when they do a third one, it he um, shakes it up a little bit. You know. It doesn't have to be a wedding again, you know, or, or whatever. Just do something different. Um, yeah. But I wish, I wish that uh, Ang Lee's son had been given something to do besides just kind of shrug his shoulders. And, <coughs> you know, he was an appealing guy. I liked his, um, his face and his manner. I can't believe that was Ang Lee's son. That's hilarious. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, well, yeah. He looks good. And, you know, I, I just liked him. I said, well, and all he's doing is just kind of, well, it's your it's your movie. I I'll just stand here and kind of like half smile while you're the funny ones. And I didn't think they were funny at all. Yeah. Bradley Cooper saved himself by being uh, by speaking French on that. <laughs> but you know, um, it's weird that um, that they did it. Um, like you say, Phil, exactly beat for beat. That's maybe why they made so much money. But um, mm-hmm. why did they have to? Why did Doug not get to go again? Like Doug had to stay home. I mean, it's just is that because of the just the formula is the formula and. You know, you don't want to yeah, mess with Yeah, he would it, throw or... off the dynamic. I mean, because you already have Ed Helms being this kind of straight guy, you know, pl- playing off the craziness of Bradley Cooper and, his, and Galifianakis. So if you had Doug there, it's it's overkill. It's basically two of the same character. Oh, interesting. Um, you, know, yeah. you know, that's that's why I look at it. So I kind of felt bad that Doug had to stay home. but And I also thought that the um, him getting, you know, anally raped and all that it was funny it just to me it just didn't quite work because it wasn't totally believable like i think it would have been funnier if it was one of the other characters that had that happened to them you know it just didn't quite gel for me with it being um you know stew yeah well no i hear you and, and that's what we were talking about you know with um the, the meet the parents sequel what happens with these sequels is they take the the situations that in the first one were at least somewhat grounded in reality and just, you know, blow them up to this crazy extreme where it's not a recognizable human situation that seems like it's at all feasible. You know, that's that's the pressure of these comedic sequels. So, you know, it's unfortunate, but that's that's mm. the name of the game. Yeah. Why did uh, Zach Galifianakis have to drive the boat, the speedboat, onto the beach at the end? Because uh. uh, it makes people clap, Jeff. That's probably the only reason. Not funny. Not remotely funny. I mean, you know, what's funny? 
It Tell didn't. Me. It didn't pay off. I, I thought it wasn't that funny. I was like, I agree with you that when it finally landed, it should have been a big laugh. But it was just sort of like, oh, okay. So they trudge on out and they go to the wedding. <laughs> but you know, um, I was I was missing the funny female characters. I thought like I, <clears throat> I wrote something about it on Twitter, but I missed the the you know the girlfriend. You know. Um, yeah. You know, you better run along, Doctor Faggot. <laughs> I loved her, and I loved the um, the Heather. Um, Oh God, what's her name? I love Heather, Graham. Heather yeah. Graham's character, the stripper. Like I missed those funny. I know it's, I'm just a lame female, but they didn't have them. They just had these. Mm-hmm. You know, the new bride was boring, and you know the yeah. old brides are all boring. It's like really boring women like that. No wonder he's getting you know butt fucked by a tranny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. Well, maybe they'll do like a, a you know Flintstones uh, you know style crossover and have bridesmaids have the. And yeah. the bridesmaids characters meet up with the, the hangover characters. Oh, that would be funny. <laughs> worldwide. <laughs> so. All right, guys. It's All right. been fun. Cool. Next weekend. Cool. Yep. All right. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds Thanks. good. Thanks. All right. Bye. You've been listening to Oscar Poker with Jeffrey Wells from HollywoodElsewhere.com, Phil Contrino from BoxOffice.com, and Sasha Stone from AwardsDaily.com. We'll be back next week, and you can follow us on Twitter at Oscar Podcast. Thanks for listening. Since I feel for you, Hey.